0: Today is Monday, the 2nd of October. We're going to do the Kapow Radio Show. We're going to do something um, a little different, maybe? I don't know. The thing is, on a personal level, prophecy, eschatology, you know, biblical things about end times, there's so many different say, interpretations of Scripture. I mean, the Bible is true and sound, right? The, the Bible is is truth. But the way we interpret that truth does vary. I mean, we just have to admit that. And it varies from person to person. And I once again, I've said in the past, and I'll say it again, a lot of these things are, they're matters of doctrine that don't include salvation. They're matters of opinion. I mean, seriously, if somebody believes in a tribulation, a a literal seven-year tribulation, and they believe in a secret rapture, that they would be raptured out before the tribulation, and then there would be seven years of great tribulation, including the Antichrist and the Mark and all that stuff, which is a very popular belief today that is not dependent on salvation. That's an interpretation of certain scriptures. And if somebody is, um, say a post-trib guy, he believes in everything else. He believes in the tribulation. He believes everything else, but he believes that uh, the church wouldn't be raptured out to halfway. It's not a matter of his salvation. Or somebody's a post-trib, right? So, you can see my point here is there's a lot of arguing and a lot of bickering sometimes among brethren. And these things aren't matters of salvation, though they do affect your worldview and how you, you view things. Um, I've always taken more kind of a, a safer approach that uh, the return of the Lord is the return of the Lord. When Jesus comes back, it is the day of the lord and that's judgment and he comes back in judgment and that's when we are taken up if you're alive if you're uh, already dead your body's resurrected first prior to the living saints who are here as paul you know described and explained and those who are remain alive are then caught up and i've always looked at that as a live resurrection rather than the term rapture Uh, because that almost adds another element to the scripture. That's just, that's just me. I'm not telling you to think a certain way. I'm just, that was just how, how I look at it. So I don't really look at it as a rapture so much as I do a live resurrection. You don't die. But either way, you, you got to, uh, you got to get there, right? So whether you get there before a tribulation or in the middle of a tribulation, after a tribulation or no tribulation at all, uh, that's the other thing, you know, you've heard us teach about Daniel 9, 24. And if you recall that, or if you've ever heard that show, you know that I believe that the seven seventy weeks of Daniel, that last seventh week, I don't believe in a gap theory. I don't believe God stopped the clock and then for 2,000 years, and then he's going to deal with Israel in years. I believe... I honestly believe that that covenant that was um broken in the middle of the week, that covenant was broken by Jesus Christ um, with with israel he he made a new covenant in his blood. see, there's a new covenant, and he put an end to all oblations and sacrifice by his own sacrifice. and I believe that's the end. The people of the prince that came, they came in seventy a d and destroyed all of Judea. They destroyed all of Palestine and scattered Israel all over the place. The nation state that you see today calling itself Israel is not the same thing. And I've said that over and over again. And some would agree and some would not agree. But matters of salvation? No. As long as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as God made flesh, came and died for you, he was the final sacrifice, and then you accept His Spirit in your life, and you become a new creature. And all things are going to be, you know, revealed to you by the Spirit, one way or another. And the thing is, um, it does affect your worldview and how you view things. I like to uh, be more uh, Christocentric. I like to give the glory to Christ rather than to Antichrist. In in especially passages like that in Daniel. Nine, about the 70th week. I like to give glory to Christ, that Christ was the one, not the Antichrist is going to come and make a covenant and then break it halfway between seven years. But that Christ already did that. And that's part of his beautiful work that he did. It doesn't make me more cooler than you or more righteous or smarter or anything. That's just the way I see it. And many, I'm not the only one, many in the past, especially uh Preachers and commentaries, commentators and scholars uh, of a hundred years ago have seen it that way. And actually, the, the pre-rapture, the secret rapture thing is something that's fairly recent that's, um, that came about with Darby and then the Schofield Bible. And you can honestly, you can trace it to a Jesuit, uh, Francisco Rivera, to come up with that doctrine. So I prefer not to believe anything coming out of the Catholic Church or uh, Jesuits. But, you know, I hate to say this because it said so much. Do your own research. You always hear that. Do your own research. But, you know, look look that up. Um, I would challenge you to do so if you have any doubts about that. But anyway, um, we talk so much about eschatology and prophecy and things, and you can get— uh convoluted you can get confused and that's the other thing uh, the god i serve is not a god of confusion so anything when you start studying the book of revelation or daniel and it gets really convoluted I, I just don't think that's of god because god is not an author of confusion you know and if you don't understand something you know you don't understand it but you just got to keep praying that god will give you understanding but the worst thing we can do is just follow somebody else's teaching and thought just because and we haven't done our own work. You have to kind of do your own work. And you all know that. But anyway, um, I kind of wanted to get off of the prophecy thing and the eschatology thing for a while. Even though we're right in the middle of it, you know what I mean? As far as life goes right now and the way the world is turning, we're like right in the middle of it. You know? You know what I mean? So it's like, really right now you want to quit talking about this? Because like we're right in the middle of it but it just gets it just gets really crazy and it um you know September 23rd came and went and a lot of people you know were expecting something big to happen like Nibiru to hit the earth and now the new date is October 15th if you haven't heard and they're expecting that and once again that'll come and go I'm telling you it'll come and go because no man knows the days or the hour and that's what I mean we get convoluted and we get silly with some of our um, our doctrines and and our iso-Jesus, what we add into Scripture. So what I want to do is take at least this show and hopefully some other future shows and just kind of get back to some basics. And I want to talk about wisdom. and, and, um, And I want to go to the Psalms and go through the Psalms. Because in these troubling times, though I'm not talking about eschatology right now or prophecy, you need wisdom to deal with what's going on. And I think that's more of an important tool right now to have in your tool belt wisdom and how to understand what's going on and how to understand your relationship with God and how you should then live. I think that by far is a more important tool than whether or not the earth is flat or hollow or round or, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or there's a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib antichrist, no antichrist. I think the toolbox should be full of wisdom and with discernment, because that's what's going to get you through, not a doctrine. You get it? So I I just feel strongly about kind of getting back to basics, and that's why we did the Ecclesiastes shows. You get back to wisdom, get back to basics, and, you know, go through there. All right? So let's start with Psalms, and hopefully we'll just kind of continue uh, throughout the weeks and um, really see what God's word has for us in these troubles sometimes and what we can extract out of it. All right. So we're going to talk about the, the Psalms. Let me just give a quick introduction in case people, you're not really familiar with what the Psalms are, the book of Psalms in, in your Bible. And it's a Hebrew title. The book is tahilim. It means this praise. It means praises or hymns, right? They're songs. And it's a leading feature in its content, is praise, right? That's mostly what it's about. It's about praise. These are songs of praise to our God, our Creator God, the ultimate God, the one God. Now, in the Greek, in the Septuagint, they they call it psalmoi, and that's where we get our word psalms. And it does correspond to the Hebrew word, mizmoy, by which 65 psalms are designated in their inscriptions, in which the Syriac, it's a language that, like the Hebrew, it uses for the whole book. So it means, as also does the Greek name, it means an ode or a song. It's, It's whose singing is accompanied by an instrument, particularly the harp back then. And to some Psalms, the Hebrew word shir or song is prefixed. And now the Apostle Paul alludes to all these terms in Ephesians 5.19. Let's take a look at that. In Ephesians 5.19 and 20, Paul says, speaking, okay, let me go up to 18. uh, Just start there. He says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. So these aren't just Christian songs. These are psalms that Paul's talking about. So it behooves us to know some of these psalms. And when we get in trouble and we get irritated or frustrated or scared or demonically attacked, it's good to know this stuff and let it rise up within you and sing these praises unto God. Because they're very powerful or else the Apostle Paul wouldn't have... Told us to do that. Uh, So he's saying, don't walk in drunkenness, don't be excess in wine, but sing these songs to yourselves and uplift one another. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Let's go and talk about a lot of these are, uh, since they're prescribed or subscribed to the chief musician. And that was like the superintendent of the music to oversee everything. And it's prefixed by that, like pertaining to the chief, you know, musician and his character. And that is founded like in, you know, 53 of the Psalms. Um, So these are, a lot of times they're translated in the prefix, author and, um, you know, written by the Psalm of David or of Asaph. Uh, There's some that are uh, ascribed to Korah. So most most of people most you know most of the time it's called the Psalms of David because David wrote so many of them and he compiled so many of these uh, together. Now what we need to remember is that David was not just a king of Israel but he was also a prophet, and we tend to forget that. But he he wrote. Uh, prophetically, and he wrote prophetically about our Messiah, about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, and being a um, a man after God's own heart, right, and a ideal king that God had set up, out of his loins, out of his seed, would one day come the Messiah who would rule on the throne of David, and that's Jesus Christ. And so a lot of what he wrote, even... What he went through and wrote is prophetic and shoots forward to Jesus Christ. And when you really start reading in the Psalms, and Miss Capal is really good at this, boy, she can see Christ in almost everything, and it's really beautiful. And that's like I said, I would rather be Christ, you know, Christ centric, and see Christ in these things than I would see the antichrist and the devil and things. And I, I prefer to go that route and look at the beauty that Christ did rather than um, the degration of what Satan has done with the words of God. So there's a lot of authors and a lot of times they are referred to the Psalms of David. But let's look at Psalm 88, one, and you see there's, other authors, it says a song or a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon Mahaliah, Linoth, Michelle of Heman, the Aferite. So there's there's other things in here. It's, um, pretty, it's pretty robust. The Psalms of David, David's the only author mentioned in the New Testament, not the other ones. But I think it's just because it's so well understood that he... Uh, compiled this stuff. In Luke 20, 42, it says, And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. That's Jesus speaking. And he's talking about a, a particular psalm that David did write. Uh, let's see. And normally it was accompanied by music. Things like that. So you're kind of getting the idea what these are. These are songs, but they're spiritual songs, or spiritual hymns, and they're very powerful. I mean, Jesus Christ is quoting them. Paul's quoting them. Uh, the Hebrews, the, the ancient Israel, I mean, this was their songbook. This is what they did. So it's, it's important. So I think if we go through this and we go through them, we're bound to learn something and, and grab some wisdom from them. And if you look at the context of the Psalms, there's 150 of them. But they're independent compositions, so there's really no logical analysis. You can't really take this whole book of Psalms and just like logically analyze it and go, this is what it means, because they're just, they're independent things. And that's what we're just going to do. We're just going to take them independently. Now, the Jews, now the Jews, this is interesting. The Jews, ancient Israel had divided the Psalms and the five books, and that corresponded to the five books of Moses. So like on the first day of creation of earth and man and everything, they ascribed Psalms 1 through 42. And the second division corresponded to the second day of creation, and that was Psalms 43 through 72. The third was like the third day, Psalms 73 through 89, the fourth day was Psalms 90 through 106. Now, I find it interesting that Christ also came on the fourth millennial, on the 4,000-year mark, and then Psalms 90 through 106. It is interesting. And on the fifth, the, the fifth day, Psalms 107 through 150. There is no sixth day, and there is no seventh Sabbath. It just they stop at five. And, and in, in the past, there's been all kinds of attempts to try to make some sense out of that and discover within this division some critical or practical value, but you, you just can't, it's just, you can't, there's, you can't find it. And there's been a lot of efforts made to classify the Psalms also by subject and um, very few have been able to do that. So you just kind of have to read them and take them, you know, individual as what they are because they each have their own, you know, peculiar form and character each one of them they each have their individual diversities and styles of subject things like that you have to remember this is poetry they do constitute a consistent system though of moral truth and that's what we're going to talk about the moral truth how do we then live in such perilous times that which we're in when everything's collapsing it's all collapsing around us in this crazy phony world that satan created how do we then what do we grasp what is truth and this is what i want to do so just, instead of just talking about all the sexy stuff all the time let's let's get down to hey let's get down to some church maybe you know some real some real uh, wisdom some real teaching this is um, poetry it's hebrew poetry it's different than our poetry there's a lot of push and pull in hebrew poetry you know a lot of um, you know pro con good wicked that kind of a thing It's lyrical. They were songs that were adapted to musical instruments. And they're religious lyrics. And they were designed for sanctuary worship, right? But they do have a devotional character. And they do present Christ in a forward type of prophetic acclaim, right? We see, we see God's mercy set forth in many, many of these psalms. We see doctrines of regeneration by the Spirit, forgiveness of sins, repentance towards God. We also see faith in Jesus Christ. And we see salvation of men from that, already from the ends of the earth, according to these psalms. And these psalms proclaim prayer and thankful praise, so it, they're they're really kind of neat. I, I'm not an expert in them. Uh, Miss Capal's much better at this, at the psalms than I am. She's she's read them over and over again, and she keeps her nose in them a lot. Uh, me, I'm all over the map. But she's not here today, so you're stuck with me trying to impart this to you but i just want to give you some history in case you didn't know and i apologize if you go i i already knew all that brother Capella, i don't know what you're talking about but maybe just some listeners here that really didn't know what the psalms were okay hello this is professor lambsrath
1: from the institute of prophetic studies in southern california are you tired of going to church yet getting nothing from it do you feel good on sunday but defeated by monday does your church fail to equip you with the necessary tools to live out your Christianity and does your church leave you powerless? Have you ever wondered why? Well, you are not alone. I strongly suggest you read Eyes to See Unseen Enemies by Paul and Linda Villanueva. This book examines and explains the problems with so many of today's churches and ministries. You will learn about the false spirits invading churches and the occult practices that have crept into the house of God. More importantly, you will get the tools needed to protect yourself and the ones you love. Eyes to See Unseen Enemies is available at all online digital book retailers, such as Amazon, iBooks, and Barnes & Noble. Go to fifthhookmedia.com, F-I-F-T-H-O-O-K-M-E-D-I-A.com for further information. This is Professor Lambsrath. And I am making eyes to see unseen enemies required reading in all
0: of my courses. So I'll see you in class. So you want to get going and let's, let's start with Psalms 1. And it says, blessed, this is beautiful stuff. It says, blessed is the man, you know, the person. That's man and women, right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? Blessed, blessed. It literally means, oh, the happiness. It's an um, exclamation of strong emotion. Right? In Second Chronicles 9, 7, it's used as, Happy are the men, and happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. Yeah. So blessed is the person I mean, they're happy, they're blessed. They're just in continual happiness that does not walk. What does that mean? It means to behave with, to be conversant with, right? To be easy, to be around. Blessed is that person who doesn't behave with, who who doesn't walk with. The counsel, that means exactly what it is. The counsel means that. It's the advice. It's the plan, the advisement, the purpose. A counselor. Don't take counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly, Hebrew, rasa. It's morally wrong. It's a bad person. Wicked, ungodly, wicked. It's hostile towards God. Guilty sin. I mean, Do we really need to define what an ungodly person is? I think we know what ungodliness is. Now, I think the opposite is also true in this first statement. You're not going to be blessed if you walk in the counsel, in the advice of the ungodly. I mean, if you're just constantly looking at Facebook or social media or anything that's trendy and you're just, what are they advising me to do? What are they advising me to believe? You know, and we see that with the news. You know, I know lately the term fake news has been coined, but it really is fake. And not in the sense that the stories didn't happen or these events didn't happen, but the spin on the story is fake. George Orwell said, people will believe what the media tells them to believe. People will believe what the media tells them to believe. George Orwell. And that's true. And you can see that. You can you can see that. You just look at, you know, if you just look at your Apple news feed, just look at that trash that comes there. And it's really hard to find decent news because it's all filtered. It's that's what it, that's what fake means. These things really happen, but it's fake in the way that it's trying to manipulate you to believe a certain way or think the world's a certain way when it isn't. So blessed is a person that doesn't walk in that council of the ungodly, you know, that doesn't listen to the advice of Oprah or Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or half a dozen money preachers. Don't walk in the council and the promises that you'll be blessed. I mean, you'll be like super happy really strong emotion of happiness, the freedom. So right there in this one little tidbit, it's just right there. It's just telling you how shall we then live? If the day of the Lord is coming and it's approaching and it's so, severe his judgment so severe and we're watching it happen we're watching the world crumble around us how should we then behave what do we where do we go what do we do well right here be blessed if you walk not in the advice of those ungodly people of the wickedness in other words get out of the world don't be part of the world a second part nor standeth in the way of sinners blessed is the person who doesn't stand in the way of the sinners, that means just something to abide or confirm. You continue, even to be employed, endure, establish in the way, in the manner, in the conversation, in the custom, in the journey of. First, it was the ungodly. Now it's the sinners, which is a word that could be translated a criminal or a, a one that's accounted guilty, an offender, a sinful, a, a, a sinner. Someone who's offensive to God. So you don't take their counsel, number one. You're blessed if you don't take their counsel. And you're blessed if you don't behave in their manner. If you're not trying to look like Kim Kardashian, you're probably going to be blessed. If you are trying to look like Kim Kardashian, you're not going to be happy. In fact, bad things are going to happen. We'll get It says the opposite. The other part is, blessed um, also are you if you don't sit, right? You don't hang out with, you don't sit down with, you don't remain, you don't dwell, even to marry. The word could even be used in marrying somebody. Blessed are you if you don't sit with or sit in the seat, the abode, the place, the population, the assembly of the scornful. And uh, that is someone who scoffs. They scoff. They're a mocker. They're a mocker. And we've gone over this before. A mocker is just not somebody who just makes fun of Jesus Christ like George Carlin did. You know, makes fun of God, George Carlin. A mocker is just not a guy like that. A mocker is, it could be a money preacher. It could be any of these uh, big mega church pastors where they're taking the gospel of Christ and they're besmearing it, they're making a joke out of it, they're uh, they're making a mockery, and they they scorn the words of God, and they don't teach pro- proper doctrine and gospel, and they mix truth with error. That's a scorner and a and a mocker also, and it says you're going to be blessed if you don't sit in their assembly of the scornful. So if if there's a church, there's a mega church, and uh, people are part of that. And he's leading people away from God or, or she, Paula White. We just saw, my gosh, we just saw Paula White with her husband, Jonathan Cain, the keyboard player from Journey. And they were singing on the Jim Baker show. That's the <laughs> Jim Baker, ex-felon Jim Baker, uh, crook Jim Baker. They were on his show singing Don't Stop Believing as a, as a worship song. That's mocking, that's scornful, that's horrible, that's sitting in the seat of the scornful. Um, Really? That's not blessed. Now you look at, well, she's successful, they're making money, he's a keyboard player for journey, he's, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've learned from Coralith and Ecclesiastes that life under the sun is short. And that you have to look above, you have to have vertical thinking, eternal thinking to really see what the end is. And we've discussed that. It's not just about success down here. So if you don't do any of that, you're blessed and your delight. Verse two says, but his delight, your delight, her delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? The law of the Lord, the Torah, which means precept or statute. Statute the law god's direction instruction it's the body of prophetic teaching the instruction in mess- messianic age it's direction from god that's the law that's the law that gives us delight today the law of Christ Jesus right his commands he even says if you love me you'll you'll obey my commands well where is his commands written in the new testament They're written all through the Bible. If you delight in God's law and doing God's will and having yourself changed into the character of God, you're going to be blessed and delighted. And in his law, in God's law, you should meditate day and night. Now, that doesn't mean empty in your mind like in yoga. Meditate means to specifically ponder, ponder or imagine, um, even speak and study, talk or utter something. It doesn't mean to empty mind and meditate like Far Eastern religion teaches. That's not meditation in this sense. To meditate on God's law, to meditate on His word, is doing right. What you're doing now, you're listening to my voice, and I'm reading the Psalms to you, and we're meditating on these things. We're speaking and we're listening, and we're we're chewing on it, right? But you got to do that day and night, <laughs> and that's you know really you you've got to live it. You got to walk the walk and talk the talk. And here's the blessing here. And Miss Kapow has this scripture on a uh, three by five card, and she has it in her bathroom mirror. And she looks at this every day. Every day she reads the scripture to herself and looks at this every day. So what is she doing? She is delighting in the law of the Lord when she does that. And she's meditating day and night. She sees it in the morning, first thing in the morning, and she sees it last thing at night before she goes to bed. And here's what she, she wrote on these three by five cards, these next two verses, three and five. Because this tells you what happens to the person who, who meditates on the law day and night, and who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand with the sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. This is what that person will be like. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What that means, it's a cultivated tree. It's a tree that, it's not a, it's opposed to a wild tree that's just out there. This is a cultivated tree that's cultivated and watered. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You want to know, oh, what's the will of God? What should I do? Uh, I don't know what God has for me. This is how to do it, because your fruit will be brought forth in its season. It's not something you do; it you just produce because you're being watered and manicured by God. It's the fruit of your actions. In his season. Wow. Which means. Exactly that. The time. A certain event. When God brings forth that fruit. And it goes on. It says his leaf. Also shall not wither. You're not going to get tired. Your leaf's not going to wither. You're going to be strong. And whatsoever he doeth. Shall. Prosper. It's a. A. Root, it means to push forward in various senses, literally or figurative, to break out, to come mightily, to go over, to be good, to to be profitable. Now, what happened with this prosperity gospel is they took metaphysics and they took the law of attraction and they took the occult and they then tried to uh, Christianize it. And then they say, if you give me X amount of money, then X amount of money will return to you, karma. But that's not God's prosperity. This is God's prosperity. God's not against prosperity at all. God's not against prospering you. But this is how you do it. So if if you're listening right now and you're having financial problems, and many of you do, all of us have gone through financial problems at one time or another, Go, go over this Psalm 1 and look and see, hmm. Am I walking in the counsel of the ungodly? Am I am I listening to that advice? No. Am I standing in the way of sinners? No, I don't want to do that. Oh my goodness, I am kind of, uh, well, I'm not really meditating on his law day and night. Maybe I need to do that. Because if I do that, I'm going to be planted like a tree by the rivers. My fruit's going to come and I'm my leaf's not going to wither and whatever I do, I'm going to prosper. Dude, that's that's just written in God's word. That's a promise and it's prophetic. It's prophecy because it's saying you shall prosper. It's future. It's you're going to prosper if you do these things. And if if you don't prosper after doing those things, then it means it's not true. So challenge. I mean, God doesn't mind if you challenge him. Put the fleece out. Challenge him if you're having financial difficulties or any. Maybe you're not prospering with your kids. Or prospering with your wife or your husband or prospering at your job. You know, I don't know. Try. Look at these things and, and, and use it as a checklist. Maybe there's something you need to get rid of or add. It's right here. That's how we then live. Uh, verse 4. The un- Now, here, here's the opposite. Here's Here's that Hebrew poetry. Here's that push and pull. Here's the opposite. Now, we just looked at blessed is the man who who doesn't do certain things and who does certain things, right? Now, verse 4 says, the ungodly are not so. Mm -mm. Not so like what? The tree planted by the rivers of water. The ungodly aren't a cultivated tree. They don't bring forth their fruit in due season. Their leaf withers and they don't prosper. You go, oh come on! I'm looking around. I'm looking at all these rich old guys, and they got bucks, they got billions. They're prospering. You can't look at life under the sun as prospering. Prospering ultimate is eternal. But I don't believe that prospering only ends there. I do, God. I do believe God will prosper. Well, I know He does. Prosper you down here if you walk in His way. It's a, it's a law of God. I don't mean you're going to be a billionaire. Why do you want to be a billionaire? He's going to sustain you with what you need. You don't want to be tempted with all that stuff. If if your if your goal is to be a multi millionaire, a billionaire, because prospering, then you have the wrong attitude anyway towards your religion, towards God. You're looking at as him as a magic genie, and you need to take stock at where you're getting that because you're probably walking in the counsel of the ungodly to get those kind of ideas. I hope you're following me on that. The ungodly are not so, but you know what they're like? They're like the shaft. Shaft. It's a pressed out, winnowed. It's it's from the threshing floor. It's it's always driven by wind. Shaft never does anything else in the Bible, but be blown away by wind. It's worthless. They're going to be like shaft, which the wind driveth away. It's always like that. Now, here's the conclusion of the matter. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. What judgment is that? It's the verdict. It's favorable or unfavorable. Something that's pronounced judicially, especially a sentence or a formal decree. So they're not going to stand in the judgment. What, What does that mean? They're not going to make it. Their, their their works are not going to rise to the level of God's holiness. They're, it, they're not going to be confirmed on that day, okay? They're not going to endure. They're not going to be enjoined is what that means. They're not going to be strengthened in the day of judgment. That verse right there is horrible. For the ungodly. It's horrible. And that verse right there is enough to make you want to run to verse three and four and do like Miss Kapow does. Write it on a three by five card and put it where you can see it first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Now, I don't do that because I just look at her card. So if you have a good spouse like I do, uh, you know, good for you. If you don't, think about that. Verse three says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, but the ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. That's what she has written down. Because she knows that if you take delight in the law of the Lord and in his law and you meditate on it day and night, you're going to be like that tree, and you will prosper. But those who don't are going to be like Shaft. You don't want to be Shaft. And you do want to stand in the day of judgment. You want to stand. Okay? So verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners. There's the other, there's the other criminal, the offender, the sinful, the sinner. In the congregation of the righteous. You know what that means? The sinner is not going to stand in the assembly, in the general family, in the multitude of righteous people. Is that your righteousness? It's God's righteousness. It's the righteousness that's put on you through Christ Jesus. You're the righteous person. It's just, it's lawful, it's righteous. You're righteous in conduct and you're righteous in character. You're right in your cause. You're right in your, in your government. You're not a crook. You do righteous government. If you're a boss or a company owner, you're righteous in that. And you're, you're justified and vindicated by God. You're right. You're correct. You're lawful. That's all the meanings behind this Hebrew word of righteous. So sinners aren't going to stand in the congregation of those people. On that last day, they're not going to stand. What, I mean, what does that mean? That means on the day of the Lord, prophetically, that's what I mean. The Psalms are also prophetic. David was a prophet. On the day of the Lord, prophetically, and we all know this through the New Testament and other scriptures, there's a day of the Lord and there's a judgment. There's a great white throne judgment. Sinners and the ungodly are not going to be able to hang there's no gray area here. Wow. Now in verse six, here's here's that push pull. Now here here's here's our, here's our push back to the positive, positive. and it says for the Lord. The Hebrew word there for Lord in your King James, it's going to be all capital L O R D. When you see it all capital, it's Yahweh. It's the eternal name of God. It's the Lord God. It's the all-existing God. It's the one that Satan and all the demons hate so much and lie about and try to get you to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's, That's that God, the ultimate God, the only God, the mighty creator God. I don't know how else to refer to him and make it clear the one I'm talking about, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the Lord knoweth, he knows, he he knows, he's observed, he recognizes the way, the behavior, the road, the mode of life, the mode of action, the conversation, your custom, your journey, your manner. The Lord knows, he sees your way, your manner of the righteous same hebrew word righteous the one that's lawful that one that one that's righteous in him the lord sees your behavior he knows your way i mean even the new testament says we'll be accountable for every word every idle word spoken we're going to be judged For things said, the Lord knows that. Now, right at the end of verse 6, here's the pool. But the way, right? We've learned what that means. That's the mode of action, the course of life, the conversation, the custom, the manner. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Shall perish. In Hebrew it means to wander away to lose oneself to literally perish to be destroyed to break they won't escape it means to fail to lose nowhere to nowhere to flee it's translated 98 times i'm uh, it's it's actually translated 184 times to perish but 98 times destroy 62 loose and 10 to fail So you get the point. It means to be destroyed, to vanish, to be gone. You're out of here. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. And that ends Psalms 1. And right there, just in that little bit, you can see all of the meat that's there. All of, when you ask yourself, like Peter wrote, about the day of the Lord coming and it's a great and terrible day and the elements are going to mount and the melt and the the mountains are going to burn i mean it's like wax it's horrible enoch too you know when you read enoch he describes this this destruction of the earth and peter asked that question if 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 you know we if if you want to hasten the day of the lord because you want the lord to come you want to hasten the day of the lord you got to realize it's a very dark horrible day but knowing that it's coming, how, how shall we then live? Well, look at Psalm 1. It just tells you right here in six verses how you should then live. And it also compares you to the person who's ungodly and who's a sinner and a scoffer, how they live and what what happens to them. It's all right there. It's amazing. So Psalms 1, 1 through 6, it's the character and condition. It's the present and future destiny of the pious and the wicked. They're both described and contrasted. And in this little teaching, you learn that true piety, true piety is the source of ultimate happiness. And that sin is the ultimate source of misery, both here and eternally. Have have you guys um, seen Jim Carrey? Have you seen the, the nut stuff he's doing? Type in Jim Carrey on, on YouTube. The guy's totally whack. And it's not a new thing. He's been into um, Eckhart Tolle, totally, um, metaphysical, New Age Buddha, Hindu stuff for a lot of years. I mean, personally, I think he sold his soul to Satan when he was a young, young man. Because he actually gives testimony about how bad he wanted to be famous, even as a kid. Um, he sent his uh, jokes and stuff to the Carol Burnett show when he was 10 years old trying to get on there and he used to go up on um mahal drive and overlook la and just like you know um like the secret you know send out metaphysical he wanted it so bad so you know he sold out and satan gave him the kingdoms of the world but you should see him now he's he's a not he, he's he's crazy he's right, right off his rocker um amazing Amazing. And everybody knows it in the rest of Hollywood. The rest of these idiots are making fun of him because he's so he's so out there. Uh, so sin is misery. Uh, Satan is a, is a horrible taskmaster. He'll he'll give people fame and fortune. But then, boy, they pay for it. Not only on this life, but ultimately, when they die, you can't unring the bell. There's no going back. There's no other place in the land of the living. It's over with, man. It's not worth it. I know it seems like it is when you're down here because you think this is all there is, but man, this is a short, short existence. Yeah. So anyway, what we just read, Psalms 1 through 6, it's a summary of the teachings of the whole book, of the rest of the Psalms. That's the summary of it. So it's almost like the, like it was placed there in the first place because that's what the rest of the Psalms is all about, about following the path of God and not following the path of the world or the wicked or the sinner. So I think that's kind of good. That's kind of good. Let's see. And the, the, I think what we could take away from this today also is that the way of the wicked, all their plans are going to end up in disappointment. Um, if we look at Psalm thirty-seven thirteen, it says, The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Huh. Psalm 146 8 says, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. Proverbs four nineteen says, The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. My goodness, my goodness. Ah, oh, and what does God what does God promise for people who um who know the way? Psalms one hundred one six Mine eye shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Proverbs twelve ten. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Huh, we've seen that. Hosea thirteen five. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. That's right. And so, in the day of judgment, all that wickedness, is, they're just like shaft, man, blown away. In Matthew 25, 45 and 46, Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? That really does. Well, I think that's about it. And then next week, Lord willing, uh, Ms. Capal will be back, and we can do um, second chapter of Psalm and just move on. I hope this helped. Uh, kind of get back to basics, get back to some Bible, t- very simple Bible teaching. But the sim- the simplicity of the gospel that's what's gonna that's what's gonna hold us up in these times. Not, um, you know, flat earth or, uh, you know, around earth, <laughs> you know, whether there's, you know, the return of the Nephilim physically or just spiritually, whether gray aliens or fallen angels or demons or, you know, none of that's going to really hold us up and buoy us up in these times. What's going to hold us up? Even that stuff is interesting, right? It's interesting to chase around. What's going to hold us up is having, being rooted in God and in his, in his law. And that's the only thing that's going to really hold us up. Because the deception abounds so much right now, it's just—it's just really, really um, hard to stay focused. Because there's there's a lot, a lot of deception out there. Uh, really, and Satan comes as an angel of light, and he's very, very deceptive. All right, folks. So we'll talk to you next week. Have a good night and a blessed week. Amen. For the
2: wisdom stories of men who have died in their glory, of their spiritual lives, heard the teachings of men who have lied. But all I know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified.